your finger in that section. Jeremiah chapter 31. Then I'm going to ask you to turn to Daniel chapter 8. Now, can you hear me? All right. Now I'll speak lower. John chapter 10. All right. So we want to go to Jeremiah chapter 31 first. Jeremiah chapter 31, starting in verse 35. Thus says the Lord, who gives the sun for a light by day, the ordinances of the moon, and of the stars for a light by night, who disturbs the sea and its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. If those ordinances depart from before me, says the Lord, then the seed of Israel shall also cease from being a nation before me forever. Thus says the Lord, if heaven above can be measured and the foundations of the earth searched out beneath, I will also cast off all the seed of Israel for all that they have done, says the Lord. All right, fast forward to Daniel, Daniel chapter 8 and verse 19, or excuse me, um, yes, verse 19, and he said, look, I'm making known to you what shall happen in the latter time of the indignation for the appointed time of the end shall be, verse 23, in the latter time of their kingdom, when the transgressions have reached their fullness, a king shall arise, having fierce features, understand sinister schemes. His power shall be mighty, but not by his own power. He shall destroy fearfully. He shall prosper and thrive. He shall destroy the mighty and also the holy people. Through his cunning, he will cause deceit to prosper under his rule. And he shall exalt himself in his heart and destroy many in their prosperity. He shall even rise against the prince of princes. He shall be broken without human means. Okay, now fast forward to John chapter 10 and verse 22. Now it was the feast of dedication in Jerusalem, and it was winter. That's it. Okay. Jeremiah chapter 31. The formula to destroy the Jewish people. So if you want to know how to wipe the Jewish people out, you have to become God. You can check the verses out again, measure the heavens uh, from one end to the other, give the exact dimension, the foundations of the earth as well. Uh, you have to be able to turn the sunlight off from the sun, and then the moon won't reflect its light. So why did I read those verses? The formula to destroy the Jewish people has to be kept in mind all the time. Right now it has to be kept in mind. So as you look at what's happening, and thank you for praying for Israel, we're all praying for them. And we pray for people in general. We want the gospel to go out. These are difficult days, but these days are going to continue. They're no different than they have been. But the foundation is Israel isn't going anywhere. The Jewish people aren't going anywhere. In the book of Daniel... 
Daniel's prophesying, living during a time of Nebuchadnezzar, he's prophesying of a future kingdom. Actually, a few of them. Not just Babylon, the time he's living, but Assyria, uh, but uh, Persia and, um, sorry, Media Persia, and then Greece, and then Rome. But the passage we read in Daniel chapter 8 speaks of a time during Greece. And that period of time, a person rises up. His name is Antiochus Epiphanes. He wants to destroy the Jewish people. It was prophesied. And then I read to you Daniel. I mean, then I read John chapter 10. And John chapter 10, it's the Feast of Dedication. I was here last year and spoke on Hanukkah. I'm not speaking on Hanukkah, but I want to remind you. In fact, this is a great thing. Amazon, great deal. Look at this. This is, look at that. And then boom, when it's all done, I like it. It's amazing what they can do. If Hanukkah didn't happen, there'd be no Christmas. And Hanukkah did happen. An uprising against Antiochus Epiphanes, who was prophesied to be that terrible, awful person, prefiguring, we were in the book of Revelation this morning in chapter 1, but prefiguring a person who's going to come on the scene near the end, called the Antichrist. But you have to bear in mind texts that precede texts. And so we look around today, we see what's happening, that's what I'm going to speak about. I'm not even speaking about any of this. I just want you to understand that there is an underlying promise given to Israel, and there's no power on earth that can change that. Now that doesn't mean trouble won't come, because trouble does come. In fact, if you remember nothing else of my time with you this morning, I want you to remember these three things that I'm about to tell you. Three very simple things. As we look around in the world today, we might say, what is the world coming to? What, what is this world coming to? I'll tell you what it's coming to. It's coming to Jesus. That's where the world is coming to. But it hasn't happened yet. There's three things that have to happen, and bear in mind these three things. Number one, Jesus is not on the throne. Oh, wait a minute. I, I hear the elders of wood burning in their brains. Jesus is not on the throne. Yes, he is. Hebrews chapter 8. He's seated next to the Father on high, 100%. But that's not the throne I'm talking about. I'm talking about David's throne. I'm talking about an earthly throne, the promise that he gave in the Abrahamic promise and in the Davidic promise, where David's son will rule forever on a throne. Jesus, the Messiah, is not on the throne. Not yet. Number two, Satan is not chained, nor is he put away in the pit. Satan is not chained. That's important to know. He roars like a lion, seeking people out all the time. But that's not a permanent state. So that's the second thing. Jesus is not on the Davidic throne. Satan is not chained or in the pit. And thirdly, the church is not with her groom. We're the bride of Christ. We're here. 
we at the first day of the week remember what, what Jesus Christ has done for us. We're the bride. If you've trusted Christ, you're, part, you're the bride. But we wait expectantly for a time when there will be the marriage supper. We wait for that time. Those three things have to happen before things are right. Just remember those three things. Now, as to what's happening in Israel, I want to give you a hopefully biblical perspective and an up-to-date perspective as well. I don't think I have to tell you about the statistics. At least I hope not. I know you're praying folks and, and you know what's going on. You know that thousands of people have been killed. It was initiated October 7th. Uh, 1,400 brutal murders. Terrible, awful thing coming from Gaza. Gaza. Now, in Sunday school, they might be teaching about Samson. You know, Samson was in Gaza. It's an old strip of land. Um, 25 miles no, uh, long, about 5 miles wide. Um, a lot of people in Gaza. About 2 million people are in Gaza. And on that day, about 3,000 uh, Hamas, where there are about 30 to 50,000 Hamas, uh, came in and did their damage. Now, that's what we could see. That's what we could see. You saw it on your TV or your computer or read about it, wherever you, however you found out. And you could see, we can see in real time. Israel is sending real-time video of things going on and how they're fighting and what they're fighting against and all those kinds of things. There's things we don't see, and I think we need to be reminded of that. In Ephesians chapter 6, it tells us we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. There is a war in Israel, and that's a relatively recent war, and there have been past wars, and we've had wars in this country. But war goes on every day. And the war in Israel should remind us about the unseen war that we don't see. And that's a war we should be paying attention to. And it's just as real as what we see. God, I just had this discussion yesterday uh, with someone. Uh, God made everything good. Everything that God made is good and it was finished. So how did evil get into the world? Long before man, there was angels who were created good, and some of them decided they want to be equal with God and brought evil. Then they came to the earth, one of them specifically, we call him Satan, and tempted Eve, and Eve was with Adam, and trouble came, Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3.15 promised a seed of the woman who would come, and that's the one we worship this morning. But if you want to find out what happened, how is it that Israel and uh, the Palestinians have gotten into this trouble? Well, folks, it's a family feud. It's a family feud. 
Look at Genesis chapter 16, if you care to. I'll read it for you. Genesis chapter 16, verses 11 and 12. God speaking to Hagar. And he says, Behold, you're with child. You'll bear a son. His name shall be called Ishmael. Because the Lord has heard your affliction, he shall be a wild man. His hand shall be against every man, and every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. In chapter 17 and verses 20 and 21. As for Ishmael, I've heard you. I'll bless him and give him many descendants. I will cause their numbers to grow greatly. He'll be the father of 12 great leaders. I'll make him into a great nation. But I will make my agreement with Isaac, the son whom Sarah will have at this same time next year. Two sons of Abraham. Only one son promised. If you were to talk to many uh, Muslims today, they will tell you that our Bible is perverted and that the promised son is Ishmael. Jewish people and believers say, sorry, we believe that the promise came through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In chapter 17 of uh, Genesis, it says, God said to Sarah, your, to Abraham, Sarah, your wife will have a son. You'll name him Isaac, and I'll establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. The trouble that you're seeing now in the Middle East is between Judaism and Islam. It is. It's a, it's a battle between Isaac and Ishmael. And it's a battle between one state or two states. And it's been that way for quite some time. So, so who is this Hamas? Uh, let me remind you, and you could go online, and I hope you do. You could look up the Hamas covenant. And you need, you need to do that if, you're, if you have hope for how this is going to end and what's the best way for it to end. You know, uh, you were talking, a, a woman uh, in your congregation had a massive heart attack. There's, I read about this morning uh, a couple of people in the baseball world who have cancer. When the doctor comes and tells you you have this issue, a lot of times the cure or the treatment is horrendous. It's horrible. But if they don't do the treatment, the patient will die. Let me read you Hamas's covenant. I, this is online, this is from Hamas, and I will be talking about who they are. But just so you know, the Islamic resistance movement, that's, that's Hamas, is a distinguished Palestinian movement whose allegiance, allegiance is to Allah and whose way of life is Islam. It strives to raise the banner of Allah over every inch of Palestine. This is, I'm reading from the covenant itself. It goes on, Israel will exist and will continue to exist until Islam will obliterate it, just as it obliterated others before it. Peace initiatives, okay, so two-state solution, you've heard about it, we've all heard about it years and years. Peace initiatives and so-called peaceful solutions and international conferences are in contradiction to the principles of the Islamic resistance movement. 
Those conferences are no more than a means to appoint infidels as arbiters in the lands of Islam. There is no solution for the Palestinian problem except by jihad. Initiatives, proposals, and international conferences are a waste of time, an exercise in futility. It goes on. Egypt was, to a great extent, removed from the circle of struggle against Zionism through the treacherous Camp David agreements. The Zionists are trying to draw other Arab countries into similar agreements in order to bring them outside the circle of struggle. Leaving the circle of struggle against Zionism is high treason, and cursed be he who perpetrates such an act. So, if you read what they say, the diagnosis, here's, here's what they're saying. This is it. There is no negotiation. There is no chance for peace. Any nation that wants to work with the infidels becomes infidels themselves. So if you look at the timing of October 7th, it was right before the Abrahamic Accords were going to be expanded to other Arab nations. That started under the previous uh, president uh, of our country and was a wonderful thing. Uh, this put a hammer in the middle of those negotiations. So, so who are they? They're about 35 to 50,000 Hamas. They were started in 1987 from an, a branch of the Muslim Brotherhood. They are labeled as a terrorist organization. Um, the idea, uh, and by the way, of course I'm biased. So after I'm done, I'm happy to talk to anyone. The things that I'm telling you, are, I believe are true. Uh, but if you're going to accuse me of being biased, no, guilty certainly as charged. Uh, but they began in 1987 under the Muslim Brotherhood, and the person that's leading them now is in Qatar. His name is Ismail Haniya, and he's worth $5 billion. So you say, wait, I, I, I never, who, who is this guy? Did he, did, did he invent the iPhone? $5 billion? Did he, what software did he invent? Did he, some, did he invent a cure for cancer? What, where did he get that money? Ah, that's an interesting question. First of all, he's not in Gaza with Hamas people. He's in Qatar. He's in an incredible villa. Uh, he's got lots of money. And the money came from Europe and America. The money that was supposed to be used for infrastructure, for hospitals, for schools, for hotels, for uh, a road, for plumbing. Well, forget October 7th, you could have looked in Gaza and seen none of that. None of that. Instead, you have tunnels, 400 miles of tunnels, and not dirt tunnels, cement line tunnels, tunnels that can fit cars and uh, motorcycles and have electricity, financed through um, Iran and through Europe and the United States. So where did this, how did Gaza become Gaza? 
this, you need to know the background. Gaza. Between, I'll just start off in 1517. Uh, 1517. The Ottoman Turks. The Ottoman Turks had uh, all that land. It was under the uh, Ottoman Turk uh, power. 400 years. World War I comes to an end. Turks are against Great Britain and France and later the USA. And Great Britain wins that battle in that area and the Turks leave the area. It's now occupied, that whole area is now occupied by Great Britain. By the way, occupied. You hear of occupied territory. It was all occupied. The Turks occupied the area. When they conquered it, Jerusalem was no different than it was before. It didn't become the capital of any country. Uh, it ju just was part of the Turkish Empire. When Great Britain won in World War I, they occupied the land. Jerusalem did not replace London as the capital. Great Britain controlled that area until 1948. What happened in 1948 is that Israel is uh, legally voted under the United Nations as a country. Uh, that happened on May 14, 1948, and on May 15, five countries invaded Israel. At that time, Israel didn't have much of an army. They had no air force. Uh, they had very little resources. There were 650,000 against 40 million. But something happened, and that something is they won. Uh, you could read about it. Uh, many people call it a miracle. You could call it what you want. They won. Now, when they won, right before the victory, as part of the battle, Egypt, which was one of the nations that attacked Israel, came up through Gaza, up through the north, with the desire to come up from the left and to come back behind, and ultimately they thought they'd defeat Israel. But they didn't. And so uh, Israel uh, could not defeat them out of Gaza. So between 1948 and 1967, that sliver of 25 miles and about five miles wide was controlled by Egypt. That changed in 1967. Are, are you with me? Okay, you're with me. All right. That changed in 1967 when Israel did a preemptive strike against Egypt to the south, taking out their uh, air force as the Egyptian army had lined up around the border of Egypt ready to attack. To the north was Syria, and to the uh, east was Jordan. That war took six days, and Israel won the battle and won land. They didn't just take Gaza, they took the Sinai as well, including Gaza. Uh, and then to the north, the Golan Heights, and when Jordan attacked what we call the West Bank, or Judea-Samaria was captured by Israel, and so between 1967 and 2005, Gaza is part of Israel. Now, the hundreds of thousands of Palestinians that were in Gaza when Israel won in six, actually even before that, when Egypt uh, was there, 
uh, the Palestinians from other parts came into Gaza during that period of time. And that's where they came from. So 19, uh, uh, 2005 comes along. Trouble, all kinds of trouble. You had the uh, 1993, you had the Oslo Accords, the agreement of a two-state solution. President uh, uh, Clinton uh, with Yasser Arafat and all these agreements, the idea of living together in peace, etc. Israel had 21 settlements in Gaza. 21. They built businesses, agricultural businesses, probably totaling near $100 million uh, in that area. But Ariel Sharon did something that, at the time, many pro-Israel people were very upset about. Uh, very upset. They, they, um, they disengaged from the land. I don't know if you understand. I'll try to explain disengage. They're, they're there with their businesses. They're there uh, living between 1967 and 2005. Their homes are there. So is the Israeli army, because there's Palestinians around. Many of them don't like a Jewish presence there. And so the IDF would be there all the time to protect them. And they thrive. They thrive really well. But Ariel Sharon said, you know what? Enough's enough. We're leaving. And here's the keys to our homes and to our businesses. Here, here they are. So I'll, we'll even help you. We will, we will consult with you if you're interested. Well, not all the Jewish people liked that arrangement, and they would not leave. So Ariel Sharon sent the IDF, the Israel Defense Forces, to go into Gaza to these settlements, Jewish cities, and physically, bodily remove them. You could, if you care to Google it, I remember seeing it live uh, on, new, on the news back in 2005. So they were all displaced, Israelis who were displaced, and they, the government bought them other homes, other places. That was on Israel. Ariel Sharon was responsible for that. So what was the response on the part of the Palestinians who were now given free homes, free businesses, to expand that land any way they wanted. By the way, there was an airport there. There were, uh, there were decent hotels that were around. They could develop it any way they wanted. Well, did you read the uh, covenant that I read to you? Did you listen to what I said? There's, there's no compromise. There's no living with them. They took hammers. They took anything they could find, and smashed everything. Destroyed any Jewish presence there. Wanted no part of it. Okay, they could develop the land themselves. But that's not what happened. In fact, uh, the Palestinian Authority was to oversee that, so they were to have the West Bank, Judea, Samaria, and they were to oversee Gaza. They had an election. They had an election. They elected Hamas. They elected 
Hamas, when we see what's going on in Gaza today, understand, just like you have to understand here, I am the worst complainer when it comes to election results in my country. I'm the worst. I say it shouldn't be this way. We had another way. But that's not what we wanted. And so if you didn't like any president, name, name the one you didn't like. You probably didn't vote for him, but you lost. I could tell you, the, this last local election, I told my wife we voted together. And so I looked up the results the next day. And I told her every single person we voted for lost. Everyone. But there's consequences to elections. Hamas was voted in with their covenant fully exposed for everyone to see then and to see today. October 7th was a shock. It was a shock at how fast it happened, how brutal it was, but it wasn't a shock that it could happen. They'd been sending, they had sent up until October 7th, through the years they had sent 15,000 rockets through the years. October 7th saw almost that many in just the first couple days. But up until then, rockets had been sent in. Who asked for this? The people asked for this. People aren't going to like when I say that. So how, what, what are you supposed to do? How are you supposed to handle something like that? Well, the land is important. It's important to them. It's important to the Jewish people. It's important to God. In Genesis 17, it says, uh, uh, your, uh, your children of Jacob, his chosen one, he's the Lord our God, his judgments are in all the earth. He remembers his covenant forever, the word which he commanded for a thousand generations, the covenant which he made with Abraham and his oath to Isaac, confirmed it to Jacob for a statue to Israel as an everlasting covenant. To you I have given the land of Canaan as the allotment of your inheritance. So, Israel is given the land by God. They want to live in peace with the people they're with. So, why is it that there's trouble? Why is it? I could, is it the covenant? Yes and no. Two passages. Remember the war I told you we don't see. Isaiah chapter 14. You can turn there. Isaiah chapter 14. Isaiah chapter 14 is a very important passage which explains much to us as believers. In verse 12 it says, How are you fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How are you cut down to the ground? You who, are weaken, you who weaken the nations, for you have said in your heart, I'll ascend into heaven, I'll exalt my throne above the stars of God, I will sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest side of the north, I'll ascend above the heights of the clouds, I will be like the Most High. Turn to Ezekiel 28. Ezekiel 28. Verses 14 and 15. You were the anointed cherub who 
who covers. I established you. You are on the holy mountain of God. You walk back and forth in the midst of the fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created till iniquity was found in you. Sorry, that's Ezekiel chapter 28, verses 14 and 15. So, we love God. I hope you do if you're here and you trust Jesus as your Savior. We love God. God chose the Jewish people. Jewish people will say, why didn't he choose somebody else? Who needs this trouble? But he chose them, and he chose them for a purpose. And his purpose is the redemptive plan of God. So, Jesus is, it's wintertime, and Jesus is at the temple celebrating the Feast of Dedication. If God didn't preserve his people, there would be no Jesus. And God made a promise based on his name, his holy name. We're here. We worship a Jewish God. A Jewish God. He's for all, but he's a Jewish God. We read a Jewish book. If God loves the Jewish people and we love God, we ought to love what God loves. Satan hates what God loves. So the first people on his list are the Jewish people, and they have been from the time of Abraham. Satan has done everything he could to prevent Christ from coming, everything he could do. And you could read, read the book of Esther. Uh, if, if Haman would have been successful, the plan of God would be thwarted, and there'd be no redemption. God would be a liar, and Satan would have won. Uh, name the Holocaust. Let's fast forward after the Bible. If all the Jews are eliminated, and it looked as though it would be historically, if that would have happened, then Jesus Christ cannot come back to a land and a people. God would have lied, his name would have been violated, and we'd lose. Right now, today, we're living just a, less than 100 years after that event, and stuff is still happening in Israel. Why? And how is it that the world, all around the world, including here, people standing up, cursing the Jewish people, anti-Semitic as they could be, where we thought here in America of all places. Folks, this is satanic. And the only way to explain it is that there's an unseen battle going on. And the Jewish people are on the front line. Do you know who's right behind them? Believers. Believers. Uh, by the way, in their literature, first we'll get the Saturday people. You know who the Saturday people are? Shabbat, the Jews. But then we'll get the Sunday people. And if you're looking around, you are seeing that people who are standing for the Word of God, the Bible, uh, and who believe in the scriptures as written are being attacked in their own government. Canada, United States, France, happening everywhere. Well, um, Psalm 83, and I, I, I'm almost finished. 
Psalm 83. Here's a principle. The enemies of Israel are God's enemies. Let's read Psalm 83, starting in verse 1, going to verse 4. Do not keep silent, O God. Do not hold your peace, and do not be still. For behold, your enemies make a tumult, and those who hate you have lifted up their head. They have taken crafty counsel against your people and consulted together against your sheltered ones. They have said, Come, let us cut them off from being a nation, that the name of Israel may be remembered no more. That's a, from the Psalms. That's a principle that has gone on from this time all the way till now. And remember those three things. Jesus Christ is not on David's throne. Satan is not chained nor put in the pit. And the church is not with her groom. Our expectations, yours and mine, we're pretty op optimistic people in America, and I'm optimistic in a pessimistic way. I am. I, I am Jewish. You're right. You're right. Is anything okay? Um, there's no hope, folks, for our civilization and culture. There is no hope. But there is hope, and that's who we celebrate, Jesus Christ. If we think that the next election things are going to get better, Oh, that finally there's going to be, forget about it. It doesn't mean we shouldn't vote. It doesn't mean we can't be hopeful for a, a lull in the action, so to speak. But we're sinners. We confess that in the first service. We all confessed it. We are sinners. We're forgiven sinners. But our expectations for man should be very low. And when you see what happened in, uh, on October 7th, it's beyond comprehension. And the, the people who suffered the most, this is, I, I know I'm, I'm not far from Yale. Uh, oh, name it, Columbia, Yale, Harvard, you name them all. The people that suffered the most are the people who are the left wing of the Jewish people. These were good-hearted people. They believed that they, they could help the Palestinians. And what they did were, were good works. Uh, they employed them. They employed them. They set up special uh, opportunities so that uh, they could make sure, since most of those folks weren't working, they brought jobs to them. And do you know who, who some of the people that led in the attacks were actually people employed in the homes of the Israelis. And when it came time to go, they pointed out where they all are. That's the truth. And what happened is you now have some of the most left-wing people with the strongest desires to do good are not only left with, with uh, murders in their family, but they're left with hopelessness because the ideas that they had these ideas of helping mankind and making him better were dashed into pieces. So, so what are we to do? We're here in Brantford. What, are we, what could we possibly do? I'll tell you what we should do. We should be so thankful for the grace of God shown to us that we want to tell other people. I have a friend of mine 
when he meets a Jewish person, and I've told this congregation this story, but it bears repeating. When he meets a Jewish person, the first thing he says is, oh, it is so good to meet you because one day I met a Jewish man, and from the time that I met him, I've never been the same. My life's been completely altered, and every other Jewish person I meet, I just want to tell them, thank you. Now, they always ask him two questions. At least this is what he tells me. They always ask two questions. Who was the person, and what did he say? So, he says, I answer their question, his name is Jesus. And he said about 70% of the time, that's all they want to know, and they run away as fast as they can. But the other 30% of the time, they want to know what he did. What did he say? And during these days, we are finding that the church, those like you, their Jewish friends are coming to them because we have answers. We do have answers. What is the answer for what's going on now? We're depraved. We're helpless and hopeless. These groups are hateful and horrible, and they need the saving power of Jesus Christ. Where do you stand? I, I can't answer that. You have to decide that. All I could tell you is that as, as we think of Acts chapter 3, let me just uh, read. Turn with me to Acts 3. We'll, we'll end on a high note, at least I think so. Acts chapter 3 starting in verse 18. But those things which God foretold by the mouth of all his prophets that the Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, that he may send Jesus Christ, who was preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things, which God has uh, spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. God is going to deal with Israel and bring a time of refreshing, a time of restoration. That's in the future. When um, we have uh, Satan bound, when we have Jesus seated on the throne of David, and when we, the church, are not just united spiritually, but will physically be in his presence. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, there's a lot of stuff going on. Uh, there's stuff going on in Israel, and people are dying. There's a cancer that is in that land that desires nothing but death. And Lord, that has to be dealt with. I pray you'd give wisdom to Israel and to the nations as Israel tries to deal with it. But there's a cancer amongst us today. We pray for those who have that illness. We think of the terrible diseases that are there. But all those are symptoms of the real cancer, the cancer of sin. And Father, we know that Jesus Christ paid it all, and all to him we owe. And we live in a world where the truth is trampled on all the time. Lord, give us the boldness of David. Give us the wisdom of Daniel and Solomon. Help us to see the world the way you see the world and to have the boldness to t tell people the truth 
so that the truth would set them free. Lord, we know at any moment you can call us to be with yourself. Uh, we look forward to the rapture of the church and believe that it can come at any moment. But we also know that there's seven years for sure that await the earth. Seven horrible years. Seven years that will bring uh, Israel to its knees so that they might see and recognize their Savior and receive him. And so until that time, help us to occupy while we have the time and the breath to communicate the message that you've given to us. And we ask it all in his name. Amen. Mm-hmm.